This podcast may contain graphic and or explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners, especially kids like me. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Real Life Podcast, brought to you by The Thin Blue Line for Women. In this podcast, we open up and talk about real-life issues as they relate to law enforcement. It's raw, it's real, and it's about time. I'm Tamara, your host. Thanks for joining me. Don't forget, you can listen to The Real Life Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. I've got some shout outs for some people, very special people from Facebook and Twitter. I'm just going to name off your names here. H. Clary, Nick and Mike with Roll Call Room, Ann Wedding, Allison, Alma with the yellow flower in her hair. Cami, I have your six. Johnny Socks, Detective Blue Line and Baby Yoda. Susan Nealon, Susan in Seattle. Lee Roberts. Got Jill Bemmy from Canada. Benjamin Tyler Smith. Becky Howell, Becky Rice. The 9 p.m. Routine, Resting Mom Face Podcast. Sorry about that. Janet Roberts, First Responder PTSD Advocate. And I think that's all my my shout outs this week. Um, I do want to say something really quick about supporting this podcast. If you'd like to monetarily support it, you can do so by clicking on the little box that has the dollar sign and the word support. And it's just 99 cents a month. There are other options, but really, if I just get a few people for 99 cents a month, then that would help pay for the program that I have to use to have my guests on. It's not very expensive at all, but over time it's going to add up and um, just 99 cents does help when multiple people are helping. So when you're listening to this podcast from the anchor link that I always post on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, it will have a little box with a dollar sign and the word support. So you can support that way. And I really appreciate it. I've got four supporters right now to thank. I'm not going to say your last names, but I've got Ron, Kelly, Anne, and Katie. And I sincerely thank all four of you for supporting me. It's much appreciated. Hello, everyone. I have a really special guest with me today. Um, A lot of you know her from Twitter. It's Sergeant Manders. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm very good. I'm so happy to have you on today. And I met you on Twitter. um, And the reason why I follow you is because you're hilarious. Okay, so a lot (laughs) of people, a lot of people follow you because you're hilarious. And you're a great woman and you're a policewoman. So you rock. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much. But I love your Twitter posts because a lot of times you have your kids in them. Yeah. And you do jokes and oh, yeah. you do those, those cute little, um, 
those filters, you know? Oh yeah. The Snapchat filter. Just, yes. Yeah. And so that's, that attracted me to your page. Okay, I'm just going <laughs> to admit that in the first place. So that attracted me to your page and I share some of your, some of your stuff. And so I just wanted to want to have an actual real interview and a, and a conversation with you because you're a fellow woman in police in policing and um, feel like I have a kinship with you already. So Let's go through this uh, through this conversation and see um, how far we get without laughing. Yeah. <laughs> um, <Good luck. laughs> yeah. So, so for the people who don't know who you are, I'm sure they're going to find you on Twitter after this. But give the listeners a little background about who you are, um, so we know who you are. So I'm I'm just a normal person. I, I'm been in law enforcement. This may will be 16 years. Uh, I'm a mom. I have got two kids. A little boy who's 10, little daughter who's four, and my husband who is also in law enforcement. Uh, we've been together. Next week will be 12 years. So that's me in a nutshell. Wow. So wait, your boy's 10 and your girl's how old? Four. Oh, and she's the one in your videos. It's so cute. My son. My son's actually the one in the videos. Oh, it's your um, son? Yes. Oh, he, he, always yeah, he's always in the background. Not, he is. And the, the best part about those videos is you know, he doesn't tell me the jokes ahead of time. He just picks them and <laughs> tells them to me. So, like, that's my reaction to his joke. <laughs> I love it. So, do you work for a police department or a sheriff's department? So, I work for a municipal police department. Okay. And you said you've been there 16 years. Yeah, May will be 16 years. And what is your rank in your primary job? So, the listeners will know. So, I'm a patrol sergeant. And in our agency that uh, consists of uh, basically overseeing patrol officers uh, do, you know, just making sure that they're handling calls the right way, you know, assisting them kind of guidance, a lot of, uh, you know, reviewing reports, administrative tasks. Um, the shift I work is an afternoon shift. A lot of people consider it like a swing shift. So you know, it, it's myself and typically another supervisor on our days and about, you know, 15 officers responding to calls for service. So we help where we can, but mainly our job is to, to oversee what everyone's doing and, and make sure they're not having any problems. Right. And how long have you been a sergeant? About three and a half years. Okay. And your husband is a police officer also, right? He is. Yes. Okay. So how do you guys handle all your shift work and you have two kids? How, how does that work? Well, <laughs> it's, you know, it's not been easy when we start, when I started, um, and when we started actually dating, we worked a similar shift. He was a canine handler for a long time. So he worked midnight shift. I worked midnight shift as a result. And not until I was pregnant with my son and had to come off midnight shift, did we ever start working separate shifts. And then from that point on, we hadn't worked the same shift and probably 10 years. Wow. Um, so he went to day shift after he retired his second canine. And I ended up going back to midnight shift when I got promoted, stayed on mid midnight shift for some time, and then went to community services, which was during the day. And we both had Saturday, Sunday off and worked daytime hours. And that was the first time we'd ever worked together, like I said, in, in 10 years before that. So, wow. Um, Maybe that's why your marriage is still going because you didn't work together. You probably <laughs> because I'll tell you what, that was a rough, <laughs> that was a rough coming back. Like, hey, I have to see you all the time now. <laughs> what is going on here? 
but no, we fixed that real quick. And he, uh, he ended up going, he wanted to become a school resource officer. And at the time when I was in community services, that was part of the, uh, unit that I oversaw. So I had to uh, leave that unit so he could go into it. And I left the unit and went back to afternoon shift and I'm, I'm loving it. So. Wow. Good, good. Yeah. So, so did you always want to be a police officer since you were a little girl? What, what were your dreams no, when you were no. growing up? <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know. I, honestly, my, I wanted to work at SeaWorld with animals. Like I oh. wanted to be a animal trainer, want to swim with dolphins, do all that stuff. I'm from Florida, uh, born and raised here, uh, not in the county I'm living in, but um, I've, I've always loved the water. I've loved animals. I worked at a vet's office before um, I went to law enforcement. No, I, I had no aspirations to be a police officer whatsoever. So how did you get here? So <laughs> funny story. Um, <laughs> actually, at the time, uh, the, a friend of mine wanted to be a corrections deputy. Um, bless her heart. I'm not sure why. I have the utmost respect for corrections personnel, but that is a tough job. I mean, people want to talk about policing being a tough mm-hmm. job, but that is by far, uh, yeah. in my opinion, the toughest job. Um, so she wanted to go, she had to go through the physical agility test and she didn't want to go through it by herself. So she said, Hey, would you mind coming with me? I said, sure. Why not? I'm not doing anything. Um, so I went and one of the training deputies that was there said, Hey, why don't you go through this also? I said, yeah, why not? <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> what I got to lose. He goes, wow, he's really good. He goes, you should think about this. I'm like, oh, I don't want to work in the jail. He's like, oh, well, you could do law enforcement. Like you don't have to work in a jail. I was like, oh, that sounds fun. Okay. <laughs> so I quit college and went to the police academy. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding? I mean, no. <laughs> it seemed, it seemed like a natural. Wow. Right. Is that, are people, is that not how you're supposed to do that? You could do whatever you want, girl. But that's what I did. That's awesome. Okay, so I have a similar story. <laughs> similar, not not that crazy. I didn't quit college, but well, I wasn't in I wasn't in college yet. So so my story of how I got in it was I was in the Air Force for four years as a law enforcement, but which is completely different than the real world. Completely different. Okay. Um, and when I got out, I thought, now what do I do? I don't want to go to college. I didn't have a degree. Like, what do I do now? Like, that's all I knew. And my brother was already a deputy. So he said, just come out and take the test and see what happens. He did the same thing. Broke yeah. me in. And here I am 20 years later. But I'm, I'm happy I did it because I was able to retire at age 46. I mean, that's who does that? You know, we have really yeah. good, oh, good, I know. good, good perks. Right. So back to you. Um, <laughs> did you personally? in your opinion, find it difficult being a woman when you first got on the department 16 years ago? No. I mean, I don't think I did. I, I don't know that I've struggled with some of the things I've heard or seen other people struggle with. Um, I never really felt different from anybody else. That's you know, good. I, I, I'm very fortunate. The agency I worked for of the 150 some officers we have a, a heavy percentage of us are female. Um, I can recall a midnight shift uh, squad where, you know, we're broken up into three zones at the time. And one of those zones, five of the seven officers working that zone were all female. I mean, so. 
Do you know how refreshing that is to hear from you? I just yeah. had an interview with Donna Brown, who was on the department for uh, 26 years, I believe she said. And way back when, you know, in 1979, when it was hard being, a yeah. woman, it was yeah. completely oh. different. I think she was like the third woman on her department. I mean, that's, I can't even imagine that. Right. Yeah, I know. So different. Um, so before you were promoted and after you were promoted, do you, I mean, is it different being a woman as a sergeant in your department? I mean, again, I, I feel extremely fortunate that I, you know, we don't deal with some of those kind of feelings like that. I just never Mm -hmm. have. Um, You know, I, I took the slow and steady pace wins the race kind of route to Mm -hmm. to what I did. I spent five or six years on patrol uh, before I became a field training officer. I did that for four years. I went into investigations and, and was a detective for another four or so years after that. Uh, my partner in as a detective uh, for most of those years was a, another female um, who I felt like I followed her path kind of almost to the T until, you know, she's still a detective and she's getting ready to retire. Um, and I decided to go for the the promotion stuff. Um, I feel like I've had an opportunity to do a lot of things and I don't think being a female has either enabled or hindered that at all. So either that's your department, kudos to your department, or maybe our world is getting better. I, I would hope that. so. Yeah. But, I, you know, and, and I'm of the opinion, I think a lot of it's perspective. And if you want to focus on, you know, reasoning that through your mind that way, then right. so be it. If, if, if someone wants to come and tell me, oh, you got promoted because you're female and they need more females. Okay, great. But I'm still doing the job and I'm, exactly. still, you know, still here. Right. So right, regardless right. of how it happened. Yeah. You know. So you were a detective for four years. What what were you a detective in? Uh, so when I got into investigative services, I was a burglary detective, um, which was phenomenally not exciting. And then <laughs> I went into, <laughs> and then I had an opportunity to move um, within about six months into economic crimes, which was phenomenally not as exciting, but way more interesting and way more challenging. Okay. So you didn't have to be a homicide sergeant or, or, I mean, a homicide detective or a child abuse detective. Nothing grueling like that. No, thankfully. I mean, and and the size of our investigative services division is to the point where if we had a significant crime, uh, we would all kind of pitch in. Um, You know, there were days where our homicide detectives were just, you know, hammered with cases and they'd ask us to go out on things. And I'd always make the joke like, well, you know, is there a bad check in here somewhere? I don't know what I'm looking for. So, <laughs> but no, we, we worked really well as a team. So uh, that's that really was, good, was to a good learning experience. Yeah. Now I have a weird question. What, okay. So you were pregnant, obviously. Oh yeah. Twice, twice yeah. during your, during your career. How, how was the agency? And I'm not, this is not, you know, a reflection on your agency at all. We're not going to bad mouth. We're not going to talk negative at all. This is just your, your opinion on, you know, was it easy or was it hard while you were pregnant being employed? Like, what was it like? Were you given time, you know, to pump on duty? You know, cause that, that's a big thing. Some of the brands frown on that. And even though it's wrong, you know, you don't have time to do that. They don't give you a, a safe space to do that. I mean, how, how was that with you? So for me, it was fine. I, you know, when I found out I was pregnant, 
I was given the option, you know, stay as long as you want, or, you know, we didn't, we don't have light duty positions on our midnight shift schedule. We just don't. Um, so that was the only kind of thing where they said, you're going to have to move to a different shift. Um, so I stayed for a little while and to the dismay of my zone partners, for some reason, every call we went on for like the three or four weeks that I decided to tough it out and, and try to stay in uniform. We were fighting someone and they're like, oh, hey, you got to go. Cause this yeah. is really your fault. <laughs> Cause they, they didn't want me to touch anybody. They're like, no, 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 we'll handle it. We'll handle it. And I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm not broken. I'm fine. They're like, no, 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 no. So, so I was like, well, I'll, you know, save them the drama and come off. <laughs> and, um, but no, the, the agency was fine. It was, you know, I came back after having my son after six weeks. And it, it was really on me. It was really, you know, what are you comfortable doing in terms of pumping and all those things? And um, that whole, you know, pumping adventure wasn't for me. And I ended up having to come back off the road for about a week. And then I gave up the whole pumping thing. And my child ended up being formula fed, but it <laughs> was for other reasons. Uh, but no, it, I, even with my daughter, I was, I was fortunate in investigations. I was pregnant with my daughter. And, um, so I worked literally the day before I had her, I worked, you know, cases. Wow. Yeah. I had a, I had a case where this, a CNA was, she was pregnant too. And she now was for the list for the, for the <laughs> listeners. What's a CNA? Oh, a certified nursing assistant. Okay. So she was a certified nursing assistant. One of our uh, assisted living facilities. And she was stealing from patients, uh, stealing their credit cards and using them and doing all these things. And I brought her in for an interview and the guys in the Bay were like, are you going to arrest this lady? She's eight months pregnant. I'm like, I'm eight months pregnant. I'm not, I'm not pitying her first off. <laughs> so she, she ended up going I, and I thought, heck no, if we wait till after she has this baby, then we're gonna have to find someone to care for the baby and do all this other stuff. No, she's going <laughs> to the jail pregnant just fine. If I got to sit here, she's got to sit here. <laughs> Okay, let's get serious for a little bit. Okay. Uh, what's the worst call or scene that you've ever responded to or worked? That's always the toughest question because they all have their different facets of difficulty. Um, I know when I was in training and the first couple years of my career on patrol, I swear every death call I went to was a child. And I thought, does anyone else in this city die besides babies? Because this is too much. Mm -hmm. um, there was one case in 2008 uh, where a, a four-year-old had been abused significantly and died as a result of that abuse. And it was just heartbreaking because, you know, the, the child was in the care of other family members and the, the mother had done that thinking it was the best option for her child. And especially being a mother now and knowing that you do anything, anything in this world for your children, um, to know that that's the guilt that she probably carries with her to this day uh, is just beyond me. So that that calls like that were always difficult, and and I had a plenty of them to start with. Mm -hmm. What is your opinion about the number of law enforcement suicides that's going on right now? It's a shame. You know, I, and you talk about difficult calls and I didn't have to go to it, but uh, I can recall vividly 
back in um, 2006, a zone partner of mine had been on administrative leave and we didn't know why he was. He was on administrative duty actually. And I was working in overtime detail because we worked midnight shifts. We were on a traffic detail and he shot himself with his duty shotgun and he lived in our city. And I had friends that had to respond to that. And I had to go and cover the road while they were responding to that. And I'm like, that's my zone partner. And it's just my heart broke because we didn't know, you know, what we could have done differently. We will never know if we could have ever done anything differently. And, uh, so I, I, it's terrible that no, that, you know, they're going through something that's so painful that they can't see the positives that, that lie ahead of them. You know, it's a, and this is probably cliched, but it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Right. Um, but they you know, don't have a friend, No, they don't. And, and I had a good friend from my academy commit suicide last year. And then just recently um, in our county, we had a, a, a deputy commit suicide who I had actually met at a training before. He was a fantastic guy. I mean, super nice, super funny. Um, you know, we don't, we don't know the struggles that people are dealing with in their lives and, the, and their tolerance for for what their pain is. And, right. you know, it breaks my heart that um, there's so many of us who are hurting so badly that we don't see that there's something to look forward to in life. I, I like the phrase you just said, their tolerance of pain. Because everyone does have their own level. Absolutely. Uh, dependent upon what they're going through. Dependent upon the environment they grew up in. Dependent yeah, what upon they've gone through, everything. Everything is. It and that's, I think that's that. what makes it so difficult is there's not just a simple fix. It's not just saying, oh, well, you need counseling or you need right. this or you need that. Um, you know, I've done trainings. I, I was very fortunate in my career uh, to do a lot of, put on a lot of trainings for people in our agency. And I did all our mental health training for a long time for recruits. Uh, and officers, I did. I've done tactical mindfulness training, um, and it, it to me, it's about resiliency and being able to come back and and realize that you're having normal feelings to abnormal things, and not the right, other way right. around. You're not the abnormal person in this. Mm-hmm. You're not the abnormal experience. You, you're the normal part of it. Mm-hmm. What you're going through is the abnormal part of it. Um, I love that, that you said that too. And that's difficult for a lot of people to really grasp because um, you know whatever. Uh, social constructions they've made for themselves about, you know, how they should respond or how they should feel or or what they should be doing. Um, You know, that's always what I try to impart on people is, you know, you're the one living your life. You're the one experiencing these things. Um, You got to let the rest of it go. Uh Uh-huh. Now, but do you think, as an officer, like I'm talking about you, do you feel you have a safe place to turn if you were to have an emotional crisis? I, I think a lot of people, they know all the phone numbers that are out there, you know, the suicide hotlines, safe call now. I mean, they know that they're out there, okay? but are they confident enough in those systems to be able to dial that number and know that they are anonymous, know that they're not going to you know, be told on, know that they're not going to have someone knock at their door and bring them to a mental hospital? How confident are we and are you personally that 
you have a safe place to really go to. So personally, I, I, I feel like I would have a safe place. Um, now, I think where, where the issue comes in is when all is said and done, coming back to your work environment, you know, knowing that your agency or your peers are not going to look at you differently or as, as if there's something wrong with you. Um, and, and having a structure of support that is conducive to that, you know, having employee assistance programs not be punishment based or punishment related, you know, Mm -hmm. we're not, Oh, we're going to send you to for fitness for duty because we don't Mm -hmm. think you can do the job. And that's a cultural perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, I met a a guy that works in the Northeast um, and I'm not going to throw him under the bus and name him or anything, but uh, he works for an agency and he has done a phenomenal job in his agency and the surrounding areas of setting up basically this network of care for officers and knowing, and, and he has a direct line to the chief of police and says, this officer needs help. This officer doesn't need to be punished. Um, and, and they're able to facilitate that type of care in an environment that, that they've successfully intervened in suicides so, wow. you know, having an agency like that, having, and that takes time and that takes resource establishment. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that that's the way we're trending. And, and I know with the awareness that we're bringing to not just post-traumatic stress disorder, but cumulative stress disorders right. that we're going to see that those tides turn. I, I can only hope our firefighters are the best at this and you will never hear me say that about anything firefighters do ever again. I promise you. Um, (laughs) Gosh, those firefighters, but no, they will. So when, when our firefighters go out on a fire scene, which is a big deal because we don't have a lot of fires and man, do they get excited about it? They go out on this real fire and they have these areas where, and I can't remember what they're called now, but basically like a relaxation area with like chairs and <laughs> foot stools and Gatorade <laughs> and like, like they just, you know, Chill. Like defense coming off the football game <laughs> from the Super Bowl. They've got hands and towels and I, it's like the, recu- the recuperation area. And I'm like, y'all are too much, but because they understand, you know, physical stressors turn into mental stressors, turn into right. physical stressors, and here you are in the cycle. So uh, they're phenomenal at at that aspect of it. And hopefully one day, I'm not saying I need a chair and a, you know, fan with a spray bottle on it or anything, but, <laughs> you know, hopefully one day we can start to actually recognize where we can improve on uh, allowing people to decompress productively. Mm-hmm. That, that makes sense. And, you know, in my department, we got six EAP sessions, but what do you do after the six? Sometimes it's going to take more than six, you know, and then just little yeah. things like that. You know, I think, I think about, um, it's, it's kind of a catch 22. The next thing I'm going to say. So we talk about our scenes we're supposed to talk about scenes and calls so we can get it out. Right. So it's not building. Yeah. Up. Right. But, but we don't want to burden our spouse and our partner. We don't want to talk to our kids, of course. Uh, some of our non-cop friends don't understand. So some people are left with nobody to talk to. Oh, absolutely. I, I, you know, I'm incredibly fortunate that I have a spouse who's in law enforcement. Uh, we don't do a whole lot of shop talk at home. 
Um, you know, if there's something that needs to be brought up or, or that someone wants to mention or just vent about, uh, we do our best to, to vent it and move on. Uh, but I can imagine that, that, you know, I, in my non-law enforcement family, um, you know, we don't really talk about a whole lot of stuff like that. Like you said, you don't want to burden them. Um, there's agencies around here who do family academies for law enforcement family members. Um, there's an agency that, you know, when their cadets graduate, their family gets, I think it's emotional survival for law enforcement or, or a book like that. Um, so, you know, little things like that to, to make them feel engaged because, you know, as a spouse, as a, as a family member, you want to be there, you want to help. Uh, and, but at the same token, as the law enforcement officer, you don't want to burden that family member. You don't want to burden them with, um, you know, some of the struggles. And so, you know, we always try to talk about, you know, how to, to engage in, in productive means of, of decompression, you know, that aren't going to be harmful, whether to you or, or someone else. Right, exactly. Okay, we're going to take a, just a quick break and we're going to come right back and talk more with uh, Sergeant Manders. Okay. We'll be, we'll be right back. Are you looking for Thin Blue Line gear? It's available on our website at thinbluelineforwomen.com. That's Thin Blue Line, the number four, women.com. Show your support for law enforcement and get your Thin Blue Line gear today. Just click on shop at thinbluelineforwomen.com. Are you interested in CSI or forensics? The Forensic Science Academy program has been recognized as the premier training program completely dedicated to students who are launching their forensic career. The Academy offers specialized hands-on training modules in basic and advanced crime scene investigation, forensic photography, fingerprint identification and classification, crime scene management, and coroner investigations. Instruction is offered in the form of weekend workshops, online courses, webinars, and seminars. Training at the Academy of Forensic Science will give students the competitive edge employers and agencies are looking for when hiring. Past graduates are now working as crime scene investigators, private investigators, forensic pathologists, coroner investigators, forensic nurses, forensic accountants, and even criminalists. The courses are taught by forensic professionals who are experts in the field and hold membership in the International Association for Identification and other professional forensic organizations. For more information, visit ForensicScienceAcademy.org. Again, that's ForensicScienceAcademy.org. Have you ever wondered what being a part of CSI is really like? If so, here's your chance to experience it. In my book, titled Through My Eyes, CSI Memoirs That Haunt the Soul. Through My Eyes contains 11 personal accounts of the most grueling and heartbreaking crime scenes I worked during my 15 years in the Crime Scene Investigations Unit. 
While reading my book, you'll walk inside the crime scene tape with me. You'll catch a glimpse of what I saw, touched, smelled, and even tasted during an average work day. I'll take you on a difficult journey of memories, uncovering layers of emotional trauma left behind. Dare to join me? Through My Eyes is available now on Amazon. And we are back. Okay, Sarge, tell me your funniest story about work. My funniest story about work? Oh, man. Probably. I was just telling – I have, well, I'm not going to tell you funny things I did. But, no, <laughs> <laughs> so we were just talking about this. So, you know, obviously people not moving over and hitting police officers while they're on traffic stops, stuff like that is ridiculous, right? Um, mm-hmm. so we would, we'll go through these waves where someone will pull a traffic stop and then an officer will go behind them and just wait for people not to move over. And you're kind of like leapfrogging doing these traffic stops. Right. So we were doing this one night and, uh, a super good buddy of mine, um, he was coming to back me on traffic stop. And as I'm walking up to the window, I can see, uh, through the mirror, you know, I've got my light wall of light going, you know, good approach, super tactical. And, uh, I see this girl and she pulls her shirt, like unbuttons her shirt, pulls it down, hikes her skirt up. I'm like, what? It's not going to go real well for her. Is it? So I get to the window and she like rolls her eyes. She's like, Oh, I'm going to get a ticket. Right. I'm like, well, hang on. She rebuttons her shirt. She's like, you were not the police officer I was expecting. Okay. Clearly not. Oh my so, good Lord. So as that's going on, I've an ambulance pulls up and he goes, Hey, there's this guy. He's, you know, just blasted through the intersection back there. He's all over the road. He's someone's got to stop him. Right. So I radio to, to the officer that was coming to back me up to pull someone over. And, um, he finds the truck and off he goes. And I tell this young lady like, Hey, let's button her up and slow down a little bit, whatever her stop was for. So go to back him up on this stop. The guy is, is hammered. Right. Um, so he does this DUI and, and the guy's all upset because um, his, I don't know if his girlfriend just left him or his girlfriend just kicked him out or something, but he's got all his laundry in the front of his pickup truck. So the officer is trying to, to find something that the guy said he had in his truck. So he finds it. I think there were pills or a scale or something along those lines. And he comes back out and he does this whole DUI investigation. And when I started, we didn't have, uh, we didn't have computers in our cars and stuff like that. So we handwrote reports. We, you know, had to get grids and crosses, the whole nine yards. The only thing we ever videoed were DUIs. Uh, most people didn't have video systems in their cars. So he had one. So we're videoing this DUI and he gets all done with it, goes to arrest the guy. And I notice he has a pair of panties hanging on his taser because he's just been in this guy's car. So the whole DUI video, he's got underpants on his taser. Ew. <laughs> and of course, because I'm, you know, super with it, I just start like hyperventilating dramatically and I can't stop laughing and I'm of no good to nothing. Good thing this guy was super sad and compliant, I guess, because I was about to pass out and I was laughing and laughing. So the whole end of the video is me and I and I'm like shaking like I can't I can't tell him because I just can't speak. The words aren't coming out of my mouth that there's a pair of panties hanging off your taser. And he was so mad at me. And then we went and bought underwear from the Walmart and put them all over the cruiser. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so we, 
I know that was me. And that was exactly my thing. Right. So then we had another one. Oh, they're both taser incidents. Really? We had this guy that was bless his heart was trying to throw himself into traffic. He was going through a mental crisis. And um, so the officer finally catches up with him and he had, so this guy had tried to get someone apparently to run him over and a, a child protective investigator was heading into her shift for work. This in the middle of the night. And she stops for him on the highway and he gets mad that she stops and doesn't run him over. Go figure. And he smashes his fist through the windshield of her car, scares the bejesus out of her. Right. So we're trying to find this guy. Like clearly something's up with him. He needs help. We need to stop him. So I'm running up and down the highway trying to find this guy. Cause I'm like, he couldn't have gotten far real fast. Uh, one of the other officers takes the main thoroughfare, you know, back and forth and he spots him and he starts to get in a physical confrontation with the guy. So I start hauling Taylor with everyone's, you know, running lights and sirens to him. I blow the engine out in my cruiser, right? Oh. That was a plus. And then all of a sudden you hear him come on the radio. And I guess what he had done is he had attempted to deploy the taser. The guy pulls the barbs from him. And as the, the taser is still cycling for its five second cycle, he pulls the taser back. And he hits himself in the face. So he ends up saying over the radio, I've just tasered myself in the face. Oh, no. <laughs> and oh, I'm trying no. to get my my, my poor crown Vicks limping. Oh, to the no. Anyways, we end up, oh. you know, that was bizarre. That guy threw himself through a plate glass window into a business to avoid us. And we talked him out of that. And that was that was something. But, yeah, he tasered himself in the face. So we still have that recording. Oh, ow. Radio traffic. <laughs> Oh like, my god. Why are you telling us that you tasered yourself in the face? Because he needed help. Apparently. But no, he was fine and oh. the guy was fine. And so that poor guy. I like the yeah. panty story. Oh my gosh. Can you oh my, imagine yes. he would have had to pull his taser out and the panties are hanging from the taser and he's like, wait, what? Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> and I'm on the ground rolling around laughing. Because <laughs> I was just completely Oh my gosh. Um, so you've been on 16 years. When do you plan on retiring? Oof, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, probably when they make me retire. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, my children are still small. I'll be 43 when I can retire. Um, we have 23 and out. We can stay and up to a certain amount of time. I, I think I could do 35 years before they made me leave. Um, that's our, our do you cap. want to? You know, I don't know. It just depends. I I used to think like I was going to, you know, keep climbing and doing all these other things, but I don't I love what I do right now. It's mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of fun. Um I, you know, I've always thought that teaching people and guiding them and instructing them and and you know, working through problems with them, that's how I learn things. So, you know, coming back to patrol is you're always learning something because you're helping other people learn through the job. Right. And uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. Well, so do you see yourself as a cop or do you see yourself as a mom? And how do you oh, balance that? Mom. mom first? Mom, without a doubt. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. So how, how do you balance your home life? with work. And I think we talked about that a little bit in the beginning, but I mean, you have a husband who's also a cop. Do you have to have help? Do you have to have a nanny? Do you have to have a maid? Like who, like how do you balance? I would be so much better if I had all those things. (laughs) Good Lord. (laughs) 
I just don't do things. Like, well, let, let me just tell the listeners. I mean? Let me tell the listeners that we are both right now on this podcast in our pajamas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can confirm. Because we are moms first, right? <laughs> Without a doubt. I mean, my, oh. the days revolve around them for sure. It's it's survival of the fittest. It, it just really is. It's you do what act, absolutely has to be done, mm-hmm. like right this minute. I mean, there's no time for nothing for anything else. And and you know, like I said, I, I left college at, at 20 and went to the police academy, and so I'm back to to working on my bachelor's degree. So now I'm um, okay this semester, next semester, and then I'm done finally after 16 nice. years. So, and what uh, is your, what is your major? Uh, it will be in criminology. Okay, good. Yeah. It will be in criminology. So I wasn't going to rewrite the, the wheel there. Oh yeah. No. Uh, so your kid, um, your kids are 10 and four. Mm-hmm. Do you want them to go in law enforcement when they grow up? You know, I want them to do what makes them happy, but if, if we could sway them away from it, I wouldn't be opposed to that just because that's, they have strengths in other areas. Um, although my daughter's really pushy, so she might <laughs> she might do just fine. Um, you know, they're so young. I don't know if that's what they wanted to do. Then great. My son would probably benefit from it tremendously. He needs structure um, <laughs> beyond all else. So I, you know, it would probably be a good thing. Not you know, and that's the, I mean, perks of law enforcement is you know you don't have to find your own stuff to wear every day. Someone tells you what I to know. wear. So, oh, right, right. Someone tells you where to go. Someone tells you what to do. Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't, and they pay you for it. It's amazing. <laughs> I know. That's a, yeah, a good attitude about it. I, you know, I, I think he would, you know, I don't want him to be safe mom wise. I would, but I would totally support him if that's what he wanted to do. And like I said, it'd probably, it'd probably do him some good to have a little structure in his life. Okay. Let's talk about you. Um, not, not as a cop, but you, like who okay. you are. Okay? Ooh, okay. What's your favorite movie genre? I love, com- like, I just love to laugh. So I love comedies. I knew it. I yeah. knew that about oh, you. I knew it. Sure. <laughs> Do you have a favorite movie? Um, if you have a lot. One. Yeah. So there's not just one. There's some movies that I will watch over and over again. Um, I love Steve Carell. So crazy, stupid love is hysterical to oh, me because yeah. it's, it's such real life. Um, this right. is 40 is another one that is yeah. so funny. Um, I love, you know, I love all like, you know, super troopers and 40 year old virgin mm-hmm. and, and you know, all the, the, you know, silly, funny stuff. Yeah. Where I just like quick wit. That's what really engages yeah. me in a movie is, is quick wit. But I, I love like the town. I would watch that movie 17 times over. It's a, a you know, bank robbery movie, but their accents. I love it. So I've never I've, heard of that movie and I'm looking for another movie. I know, I know, I know. With I Ben know. Affleck and uh, God, I can't remember his other name. Okay. I'm writing it down right now because it's I'm so looking good. for something to watch. Okay. And they're the like ben Affleck, it. Boston accents are <laughs> amazing. <laughs> I'm a big accent person. So uh, apparently so. I know it. But yeah, that's a good one. So do you watch crime shows on television? No, heavens to Betsy, no. <laughs> uh, uh-uh. nope. Not. Why not? I just Why not? I can't get into it. I, you know, my husband watches them every once in a while. He goes through phases, and I'm like, how can you watch this? Like, we do this. I mean, we don't. You know, it's not like Law and Order, Special Victims Unit. I, but 
it's just too much for me. Okay. And it's not about, you know, and like I said, and I've tweeted before, you know, I love that people love live PD. It's just not for me. I can't watch it. Not because I I would judge people. Everyone does things differently. Everyone's agencies are different. Policies are different. Practices are different. Mm -hmm. The type of people you deal with are different. So to say, you know, I do that instead of that is is kind of a cop out. But I just, it just doesn't intrigue me because I I have to do it every day. You work it. Oh, yeah. Why do you want to go home and work it again? You know? No, I know. Yeah. You want to tell jokes with your, with your 10 year old boy. (laughs) And right now, like, you know, my TV is taken over by those tiny hijackers that are my children. So it's like Lego movie, this and Disney movie, this. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't watch a lot of TV in my free time uh, because I don't have a lot of free time, but yeah, a lot of it's, it's really run by them. And then I'm just too exhausted to care what's on TV when it's all said and done. So. <laughs> okay, Sarge, leave us with one thing that you want everyone to know about law enforcement. That we're people just like you. We just have to tell you all what to do. So don't make it so hard on us. <laughs> don't make us say it twice, I guess. I don't, I mean, you know, it's law enforcement is, is, difficult because you're everyone's friend and you're everyone's enemy. Um, yeah. There's like no in between, right? No good friend or you're an enemy. That's true. You really are. You're, you're either everyone's savior or they want you to burn in hell. It just, like I said, there's no in between. There's no people who are like, yeah, I'm okay with the cops. No, they're, they either love the police or they hate the police. Um, and it's, it's, a difficult job. And, and, you know, I, I don't know that it's getting any more difficult than it was. I think we're just seeing more of, of what law enforcement officers go through. And, and, um, you know, it's, I think the important thing is to, to understand balance and to recognize that, you know, people we deal with, that may be their only emergency they've ever had to deal with. Um, right, right. It could be our 400th emergency of that type that we've exactly. had to deal with. Um, so treat people with respect and, and grace. And um, usually you get a little bit of that in return at some point. So, Okay. And one final thing. Can you leave us, um, this is, I, I don't want to get sad or cry, but <laughs> don't, oh, don't this must be a funny episode. <laughs> What are some words of wisdom you can give to officers right now who are going through a crisis or going through hard times? What's one thing you can say to that officer right now, from one officer to another? That there's going to be a tomorrow and you have to let tomorrow come. You have to. You know, no one can tell you it's going to be better. but how are you going to know? Right. I would say that. Give with that, a chance. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I like that. I like that a lot. Sarge, you're awesome. You're an amazing <laughs> mom. You're an amazing police officer. <laughs> if you guys have not followed her on Twitter, you have to. It's Sergeant Manders. 
Lots with a million Z's after it. <laughs> Sergeant Anders. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you won't be let down. She makes you laugh every single day, right? Oh Gosh, sometimes. Do you make your I husband laugh? Does, you laugh at your, does your husband laugh at your jokes? He laughs at me. He doesn't laugh at, at my jokes. There's a big <laughs> difference. Okay. <laughs> well, I super appreciate having you on today. You're wonderful. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep making us laugh and we'll go to your page for all the laughter that we need. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was an honor. Thank you. You're welcome. Join me next week as I talk with a 911 dispatcher. She opens up and talks about stress, anxiety, and depression. I'll see you next week. The Real Life Podcast was recorded and is being made available by Anchor.fm and its affiliates solely for the informational and entertainment purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided and or expressed on the Real Life Podcast are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers, and are responsible for all show content and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the agencies and communities that the guests may serve. Some parts of the Real Life Podcast may contain adult content intended for people who are 18 years of age or older. Please listen responsibly.